Optimizing leadership in life starts with one simple promise that we all make to ourselves and the commitment that we're willing to divulge in order to put the action steps into motion in order to experience the true definition of prosperous growth and potential. According to my friends over at LinkedIn, by investing in personal development, you increase productivity. According to a recent study from the Association for Talent Development, it found that companies who offer a comprehensive training program have a 218% higher income per employee as opposed to those who don't have such programs. Personal development at the end of the day can help companies and employees acquire new skills and a knowledge base which can help improve efficiency, productivity, and overall performance. My friend Michael Mojo says that most people waste their lives and he doesn't want you to be one of them. He's a personal development and performance coach who focuses primarily on helping people to raise their standards, gain momentum, and leverage the life they have always wanted to live. He's worked with some of Australia's top rich listers, industry experts and leaders, athletes, business teams, and entrepreneurs. Michael has an unbelievable knack for bridging the gap between advanced sciences, human behaviors, personal development, and the mental performance fields. Providing powerful tools and teachings that people can use on a regular basis to help them succeed at greater levels of life. And Mojo, join me this week to tell me more about how we can optimize every ounce out of life. I'm Kevin McShan, lead of this conversation. Welcome you to the program, and I'm super excited to talk to you today about personal performance and development, my friend. Great to see you, and thank you so very much for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, Michael, you said that you are on a mission to make sure that people maximize the most out of life, because you say that most people are on a trajectory to waste their lives, and you're uh, on a mission to make sure that they don't do that. So I wonder if, I wonder if we can start our conversation by you telling me what makes you so fabulous and why you love what you do, my friend. Um, I mean, I, I love what I do because I was always the kid who was doubted. I was put into special classes, uh, told that I had learning difficulties and a whole bunch of other things. And I think it sort of ruined my self-belief and my self-confidence. And I believe part of life is losing yourself so that you spend the rest of your life trying to find yourself again. Um, and personal development, personal growth was my key to not only finding myself, but achieving great things. So I believe that it's my job to get out there and share that with others and help bring out the best in others like personal development, personal growth, you know, working on your mindset was able to do for me. Yeah, absolutely. And Michael, tell me, what does it mean to you to maximize inclusion in life? Um, so what I believe is that 
especially around inclusion, I believe that everyone has something to offer. Everyone's born with some form of greatness within them. The challenging part is, is that when you look at society, we take the most successful person in any area and then the person who is the least successful in any area. And then we combine everybody in between that, you know, almost 8 billion people or maybe even over 8 billion people now um, on the whole entire planet. And then we create these whole bunches of averages. And then what most people spend their lives doing is they try to fit in with the average and then compare themselves to everybody else, which then makes it more challenging them to try to find their own greatness because they're trying to be like everybody else and trying to fit in. But at the same time, there's this inner voice, which is screaming saying, there's something so much more you can do in your life. There's something so much better. Um, and so, you know, I think that it's so important to look at people's strengths, look at people's greatness, because everybody has it. And then from there, utilize their skill sets. So, you know, I don't I personally don't even think about inclusion. I just think about people have greatnesses. What are those greatnesses? And then let's extract it or let's utilize those skills because everybody has it. And then I think inclusion is just a byproduct of that. Yeah, absolutely. And now, Michael, I know that you work with some of uh, Australia's top industry leaders, athletes, and business people on their human behavior and helping them maximize their mindset, my friend. So let's get into the granular details of what to do and how you help people show up in their lives, my friend. Yeah. So I guess working with high performers is the same as working with everybody else. I, I really believe that everybody has gaps in their lives. And, you know, when I, when I look at a lot of different fields of study, including physics, or when I have a look at biology, there are common laws. And one of the laws is that anything that doesn't grow dies. And one of the physics laws is everything is either expanding or contracting and nothing stays the same. So what I know is that as humans, we have to expand and we have to grow. If we don't expand and grow, we die and contract. And so it's important that we all acknowledge that there are these consistent gaps throughout our whole entire lives that we're trying to bridge, whether it be financially, in our relationships, in our self-worth or in our ability to see our worth, whether it's in our health, you know, whether it be in our mindset, it might just be the way we interact with people, our communication skills. And so there are always these gaps. And normally, especially a lot of high performers, because they are successful in one area or extremely successful in one area, they're normally forgotten about. And people just say, well, they've got everything figured out. You know, if they're financially, if they're doing well financially, people just say, well, they're doing great in life. So therefore they don't need help. But the truth is that they're struggling in their intimate relationship. They might be working hundred hour work weeks and they're burnt out and they're tired and they're frustrated. It might be that people are using them all the time, so they're emotionally shut down and shut off from others and they can't connect with people. They've got trust issues. And so I think when I have a look at high performers, I'm not when I think about a high performer, I'm not talking about always the people that are at the top of the game. These are some people, I meet high performers who hit rock bottom. And they're the people who hit rock bottom and say, you know what, I need to be better. I've got to bridge that gap. I need to perform better. And so I classify those as high performers as well. You've got to have the courage, strength, ambition. You've got to want to grow and be better. Now, not everybody in society has enough pain to want to want that drive, but there are lots of people out there who might just be starting their own journey where they wake up one day and realize that they're not where they want to be. Maybe they've had a family tragedy or maybe they've had someone close to them pass away and it wakes them up to life. Sometimes they look at their kids and their kids are getting older and they go, wow, I feel like I've just wasted my life and, and my kids are growing up and now I need to start looking after me. So high performance really comes from a need and a want to get the best out of themselves and then also life. I, I hope that sort of makes a bit of sense. Yeah, it certainly does. And uh, Michael, I want to talk about closing the gap. What when we talk about mental performance and resilience, my friend, because, you know, a lot of people uh, stumble once adversity strikes and they have a hard time sort of rebounding after adversity strikes. So what do you think it's going to take for more people to really optimize their mental performance and use it to 
enhance their human behavior and uh, uh, really become the best version of themselves. What are your thoughts there? Yeah. Um, so when it comes to closing the gap, I have a basic framework that I use for both business and people personally. And that is clarity times by standards plus environment normally equals your results, your success, or your life. So the first thing that anyone really has to do is to get that clarity. And clarity comes down normally to a couple of key pillars if it's personally. The first pillar is what fulfills you in life. Every, every one of us, um, according to the study of axiology, tends to value different things in life. So I have a high value on study, learning, education, teaching, and coaching. That's my number one value. Then my second highest value is uh, what I call high value networks. So these are people that want to grow, want to learn, want to share knowledge. So I love being around people like that. Um, and then I have physical health and physical performance. And then finally, business and wealth creation. So when I have a look at my life through those filters, that's what makes me fulfilled. I, I'm fulfilled normally learning, studying, teaching, doing things like this. Now, some people are fulfilled being a parent. Some people are fulfilled traveling. Some people are fulfilled writing. Some people are fulfilled um, you know, exercising and, and performing in sport. But every one of us has this unique value structure that makes us fulfilled. So we have to get clear on that in order to understand what actually fulfills us. Most people spend their life not knowing, and so they just try to figure it out by trial and error. But when you do that, you waste a lot of time, which then causes a lot of stress and frustration and can depreciate your self-worth. So pillar one is all about finding your fulfillment, and it comes through your values, your life purpose, and then your unique lifestyle balance. Depending on our values also depends on our unique lifestyle balance that we need. I mean, I love working, so I work way more hours than the average person. I also love exercise, so I exercise way more than the average person. I also love studying, learning, and teaching, so I spend more time doing that than the average person. But I probably spend less time with family than the average person because they're, they're a lower value on my list. I love my family. I get along really, really well with them. But the majority of my week is spent doing those other key things before I spend time with family. Um, now, the cool thing is my wife works in my business as well. Um, so she runs the company. So we spend a lot of time together, but my extended family, not so much. If I structure my life based on that first pillar, I'm really fulfilled. Like I love my life. Then the second part, the second key pillar is your direction. Where do you want to go? What is your mission in life? What are your visions that keep popping up in your own mind? And then finally, what are your goals, short-term and long-term? If you know what fulfills you and you know where you're heading and you've got clear stop-off points along the way, then normally you'll perform at a high level. You'll feel great. You enjoy life. Whereas I think way too many people are living by trial and error, which then, then that's normally because they don't have the clarity. So they keep making mistakes, they waste time, it's frustrating, they burn through money, they listen to everybody else because they're not sure what they want to do. And so most people are just sort of trying to figure it out instead of being precise with the way that they operate, which helps them to succeed. And then finally, I think the real important thing is that when you are clear, you have to keep working on your own mindset and your own gaps. Because I believe that life life, mother nature, God, the universe, whatever whatever you want to call the natural laws out there. I believe that we're humans in order to grow and expand. We have to, if you look at what creates growth in nature, it's normally stress. Plants grow when they're under stress. If we want to grow our muscles, we need to have stress to grow those muscles. So stress is an important factor in growth. And then pressure creates expansion. So if you blow into a balloon, that creates a, enough pressure in order to make that balloon expand. If we don't have pressure, we don't create expansion. Most people want to avoid pressure and stress, but it's the thing that's needed to optimize our life, to keep growing, to feel fulfilled, to overcome challenges. And so we need to have the right mindset tools to consistently be on the front foot under pressure and stress, because if not, it's easy to go back to feeling negative, 
to feeling bad, to feeling like everything's becoming too tough, um, and then and then stopping our growth. Yeah, absolutely. And Michael, how do you think our unique value structure is connected to our passions and purposes in life, my friend? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I'm normally cautious about talking about passion. Um, if you if you go back and you study the etymology which is the history of the word, the word passion means to suffer. And if you read great texts from people like Marcus Aurelius and the great philosophers, Epictetus, um, uh, Plato, Aristotle, these great philosophers spoke about avoiding the passions. And that's because passion normally is a positive where we don't see the negatives to the positive. And so what that means is sometimes when people chase something that they're passionate about, it comes through this excitement, this enthusiasm, this this rush to to do something that supposedly is going to have more benefits in life. But the truth is that everything in nature and life has both pe- uh, positives and negatives, benefits and drawbacks. And so, what I talk about is instead of following your passions, it's important to to do what you love. Now, when we think about love, and this is also why the greatest philosophers. And the greatest scientists in history have always said, love is the key. And that is because when we do what we love, it has both sides. It has both positives and negatives, advantages and disadvantages, benefits and drawbacks. And so even a parent who has children, they know that their kids are both their dream and their nightmare. Right? They create huge benefits in life, but they create huge challenges in life also. So I I prefer to talk about love than passion. Um, just just for key understandings of old philosophies and, and great constructs, which I think help people navigate life more effectively. But when it comes to our values, in our value hierarchy, our highest value is where we are most fulfilled and also where we can take on the highest amount of stress and pressure, which in science is called eustress. So eustress is beneficial stress. If a person lives their highest values, they can take on maximum stress and maximum pressure without feeling too overwhelmed or burnt out. So therefore, they're going to maximize their growth. If you put someone in an environment where they're outside of their values, a small amount of stress and pressure will make them break. And that's why all of us really have to understand our values if we want to perform at our best. Yeah, Michael, I'm also curious to ask you about how do you think the emotions and behaviors of others around us and societal pressures can also affect our human behaviors and our personal emotions as well. That's a that's a great question. Um, when I look at how the brain is structured, it's it, supposedly based on the theory of evolution. The brain goes through growth phases, or or it's gone through growth phases throughout history. Now, the first phase sometimes is called the crocodile brain, where it is a reactive part of the brain, and it's very primitive. And so if you look at a crocodile, anytime a so anytime something moves around it, it snaps because it's either food or it's a predator. And so it's a survival response where it just reacts. Now, when we're living life where we're not in the right environment for an extended period of time, or maybe we've grown up in a in a dangerous area, we will find that we, uh, or that humans find that they're in this survival response where things are either extremely bad or extremely good. But that creates a lot of volatilities. Then as the brain has evolved, it, it developed a part of the brain which is sort of the emotional system. Now, sometimes it's called the monkey brain. That part of the brain is really important for fitting in for safety and survival. So we go from being this independent crocodile type where we where where supposedly through evolution we react to to a survival response. Now it's all about fitting in. We've learned that if we fit in we have a greater chance of survival. So in nature if I'm alone in a forest, I don't know I it's hard to go to sleep because if I go to sleep something might eat me or attack me. So if I have other people around me or other members around me of, an, of, of the same species, 
normally someone can stay awake and they can protect me and look after me and then we can we can exchange these things so that's the second stage of evolution supposedly of of the brain the third stage is where a part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex or the executive center comes online now it is shown that when we live our values and we're living by purpose that this part of the brain is more effective more efficient we get more blood flow more oxygen and more glucose to that part of the brain so it's, it, it is on what that part of the brain does is it helps regulate our emotional states now when we're talking about fitting in fitting in is part of a response for safety and survival we need it in order to feel protected and safe and secure the problem is depending on where you live depending on the environment you got brought up in you might not be in a survival response but now you're on Instagram or Facebook and you see people or, or you hear people that are achieving all these great things. And so now you start feeling insecure and you feel like you're not good enough. And so it brings up all these emotions and throws you back into a more primitive part of the brain where fitting in is so important, where you may actually self-sabotage your goals, your dreams, and even your life to try to fit in. And this is why sometimes people for Instagram will do silly things where they kill themselves by doing something silly because they just need the attention. They just need the group or, or the tribe or whatever to say, wow, you're amazing. So I think as we evolve through different stages of our own lives, our goal is to, to first of all, identify who we are, own who we are, live our purpose and serve our purpose, and then we become a leader. So then we actually start to lead the people who are in the, the, the tribe or the community. That's how you grow and that's how you excel, excel through life. And that's also how you become more fulfilled. But when you're a leader still, you always get pressure from the group because the group want to do stuff that's best for the group, but it may also not be best for the group. Leadership is saying, even though you don't want to do this, we have to go this way because that's the best thing for everybody. Now, they might not realize it at first, but they'll realize it later. That's real leadership. So I think yeah. fitting in is important, but it can also be a detriment to uh, to a person as well. Yeah, absolutely. And Michael, in the work that you do, I'm, I'm fascinated to ask you about what fascinates you the most about the, the, the science behind human behavior, my friend. What fascinates you the most about the study of people? Um, that it's so different. It's never the same. It, it's, um, my, my wife is an amazing individual, but I never get the same person every day. So it's always changing. And then when I look at the world, you've got 8 billion people and things are changing every day. It's, it, it can be very consistent, but also have its inconsistencies. So it, I don't, I find it really fascinating, um, because things are humans are always changing. You know, we we change our look and our appearance through aging, um, where we change our behaviors and our thoughts through challenges, through experience. And so, you know, I, I find it really, really fascinating. I also, from a young age, because I think I was told that I would never achieve anything and I wouldn't get anywhere, I, I think it made me really determined to try to be the best that I could. And through that journey, I realized that there was, was a lot of things that I had to learn about myself. But also, I was excluded quite a lot from social circles when I was younger, which made me really study how to fit in and how to be part of those social circles. But in doing so, I realized that fitting in is can be at the detriment of the individual, and sometimes the individual can be at the detriment to the group. So... You know, I started learning and observing how people responded and behaved because I wanted to fit in. Um, but through that as well, I learned some amazing skills and tools, which has led to where I am today. Um, so I, I just find it really fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Michael, how do you think individuality can be a superpower? Because, you know, I look at life, Michael, and I tell myself that expectations are are hard to meet if you don't have sort of a baseline expectation for yourself. So how do you think uh, individuality can act as a superpower? 
Um, well, it's a, that's a really good question. It's a, these are all all deep. I think every question I could probably spend an hour to an hour and a half on. Um, but look, I think, you know, I, I don't know whether this is going to answer the question effectively, but I, I really believe that every individual is put on this earth to try to figure out where it fits in. Also, how to express itself in the greatest form. And I think that there's something inside of every human that knows that there is some form of greatness. The hard part is trying to figure out where it is and and how we extract that out of ourselves. How do we get that? How do we, yeah, how do we consistently improve upon those things? And I think even when we do it, there is always time working against us. So there's something in physics called entropy, which is the law of chaos. Now, chaos happens over a period of time. So the aging process is part of the law of chaos. You know, we go from having these amazing young bodies that are that are beautifully, um, I guess, in a way structured, no matter no matter what it is, um, and no matter how how you're born or whatever. It, the 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 younger we are, we tend to be more adaptable, resilient. You know, certain things happen when we're when we're younger that we can get away with that we can't get away with as we're older. The aging process makes things harder. You know, things start to change in our in our body. So by the time we figure something out and we start to express our own greatness in one form, it's already changed. And so then we've got to figure it out again. And so I it's almost like this treasure hunt of trying to figure out how we can express ourselves in an amazing way. I don't know if that answers the question or or if it gives insights, but it, it just you know, I, I think that's the best way that I can explain it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, to that point, Michael, I'm interested to follow up and ask you about you, your definition of the concept of, you know, empathy and how that uh, apply, applies to the field of human behavior. So how do you think we can be more empathetic as a society? And how do you think it applies to the, the field of human behavior? Heaven, I think you're going. You're going to love my answer, but hate it at the same time. Fair um, enough. <laughs> the word empathy has its root word in the word compassion, and the word compassion means to suffer with others. And so, part of the reason why that's there, and from my studies, when we're compassionate, we tend to feel emotional about other people's emotional states, and and that's that's the original root word behind it. Now, I personally prefer not to be empathetic or compassionate towards other people. What I much prefer to do is see people's greatnesses and then help them extract it, which means that you need to understand things. And so it's one thing to see someone who is struggling in life and then you feel bad for them, which is empathy versus understanding, okay, they're struggling in life, but why are they struggling? How can I help them? What do I need to do? Now, sometimes that comes in a very challenging conversation. Sometimes it comes in the form of just giving them a hug. So the more that you understand about people and life, the more you can help people. But I, sometimes I think that compassion and empathy in itself, in the in the original form, I don't. I know that not everybody means the same thing. Like when we're talking about compassion and empathy, some people mean understanding and helping and and things like that. I just prefer to use the original etymologies or the original histories of the words. Because then when you study the great philosophers, you go, ah, that's what they mean about don't be compassionate towards others. Because when we are, we become victim to their emotional states. And that can then make us get trapped and bogged down. Whereas great leadership is, okay, this person's suffering, but how do I help? What can I do? There's a logical sequence. There's a logical step. Sometimes when I work with clients, and the reason why I've excelled as a coach is because anytime I become emotional about a situation, I know that it, there is a past wound in myself that I have to go back and work on or heal. Because if someone else is emotional, like let's say they're struggling in life and I start feeling bad for them, how can I help them now when I'm emotional as well? Now we're both stuck. Now we're both trying to figure stuff out in our own lives. Whereas if I can say, hey, I've already figured this out myself. Here are the steps that are needed. Now, I can challenge you, I can support you, I can push you, I can pull. There are so many different things that you can do when you don't get emotional 
in that same situation. And I like to describe that in, in a hospital, in an emergency situation. If every paramedic who rocked up to an emergency situation, if they got emotional about that situation, they, they, would, be, they, they would be dangerous. And a lot of people in the human behavior field are dangerous because they become emotional be, because they're trying to save everybody. They're trying to, to help everybody instead of realizing, I don't help anybody. I don't save anybody. What I do is I help myself and I look after myself and therefore I can now lead others on that path. It's up to them whether they want to do that work or whether they want the help. Sometimes you can help somebody as much as you want and they still don't change. So it's very important to, I, I believe, to understand people and, and understand that humans, humans can grow through different reasons. We can grow through inspiration. We can grow through desperation. We can grow through pleasure. We can grow through pain. And sometimes pain is people's greatest motivator. You know, I used to try to help everybody all the time. And what I found was that most people didn't have enough pain to change or to do the work. Whereas some people have amazing goals and ambitions and they just want to work hard and, and get there. Sometimes people just will never change because they just don't have enough pain. And I think if you remove the pain, it actually removes their ability to grow or to find that ambition inside of themselves. So, um, when it comes to doing what you love, though, that's a different story. So I think that it's really important to figure out what you love. I, I also believe that the most important thing that you can love is yourself. And you have to find that in your own journey of life. Because if you don't, life becomes a, a, a very challenging. And, and we all have different circumstances. We all have different situations. We're all born into different environments. We've all got different backgrounds, different upbringings, different belief systems. But I think the journey of human life is exactly the same for most people, which is you got to figure out who you are to figure out how you can love yourself and, and your circumstance and your situation, and then work on improving those things throughout your life. And, and within that process, you realize your own inner greatness and that you always had a place here to be the best that you can be. I, I think that's the, the journey of life. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Michael, I uh, want to uh, share just a little a bit about myself, my friend. So I, I want to ask you about resilience. But before I do that, I'm yeah. going to give you a little bit about uh, a story about myself. So, Michael, I was I was born with what's called uh, spastic quadriplegia cerebral palsy. So, like you, I I grew up with uh, a disability and. I actually found out, uh, Michael, at the age of nine that I wouldn't be able to walk for the duration of my life without the assistance of a walker because of the severity of my cerebral palsy. But I always tell myself that inclusion is the gateway to independence and the only way that I am going to make an impact in the world is if I set my own course of sort of excellence and allow other people to follow, follow the uh, path that I lead for myself in life. So I'm curious to ask you about your definition of resilience and what do you think was your turning point of sort of, sort of difference that uh, set you on a course in your life that you're proud to follow, my friend? What are your thoughts there? Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for sharing. Um, I, the the story gave me your story gave me chills because it's it is a beautiful story and this is why I love working with people because sometimes I meet people that have been brought up and almost had everything given to them on a silver platter in life and they destroy their lives through you know drugs and alcohol and gambling and partying and then you know that they, they were given these amazing gifts like this beautiful start in life and they just destroy their whole lives and. I meet other people as well who have been given, you know, some really challenging circumstances in life. And I watch them thrive and make the best out of everything that they have. And, and that's why when I spoke about empathy before, that's why I don't get emotionally involved in people's situations because I know that everybody is born for greatness. And it's people like yourself that I think make people question whether they are bringing the best out of themselves and are, thriving in life and, and you know you know it's it's just it's such a beautiful story so you know thank you for sharing one of my favorite clients actually um that i've ever worked with uh when i met her 
she had a son who was born with quadriplegic cerebral palsy. So I know, I know your, uh, I, I know the, the, uh, the, 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 I won't say your situation, but, but I do, I'm, I'm very aware of quadriplegic cerebral palsy, um, through her and, mm -hmm. and her son. And she is probably one of the most inspiring, inspirational, resilient people that I have ever met. Um, and she changed my whole way of coaching. That's why I don't really put up with a lot of people's excuses because she had every excuse yet she thrived. And so when I meet people who have all these great things and they still have all the excuses, it sort of frustrates me a little bit that they, that they, they can't, you know, get themselves out of easy situations. So thank you for sharing. Um, yeah, go ahead. in response to your question, resilience really comes through again, our, our, um, vision, our mission, our values, our purpose, those two key, key pillars that I went through, the, the fulfillment pillar and the direction pillar. I believe that if resilience really comes down to your value structure. So I'm very resilient when it comes to studying, learning, coaching. I have people ask me all the time, they're like, how do you do all these podcasts? Like, you know, I probably do two or three a week. And how do you just talk? How do you not have notes? And I'm like, because I just love this stuff. That's I couldn't think of anything better. But if I gave that to someone else who doesn't like learning, doesn't like studying, doesn't like teaching, doesn't like coaching, they, they will put off doing one podcast for two years. But for me personally, myself and my wife don't have kids. And for us, that's just something that we haven't really even thought about. Because for us, it's just the, the thought of having children for me is, is very challenging and maybe a challenge that I don't, that I'm not up for yet. Whereas other, some, some of my friends, they straight away, they got out of school, got married, bang, had kids and they love it. They love being parents. They love taking on that challenge of having kids running around the house and all the chaos and going to different functions with them. So different people are normally resilient depending on their value structures in life. But if you get them living too long outside of their values and, and without a mission and without a purpose and, and without the right mindset tools, they, their resilience tends to fall away. So I don't think it's a skill that you learn. I think I, I think it's it can be providing you're living within your value structure. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, uh, Michael, as you uh, said, uh, you know, one of uh, the tenets that I live my life by is that I don't have a lot of time for excuses because it's my belief that excuses are a, a deterrent to progress, my friend. And I want to share share just one more story about myself. So, you know, Michael, I graduated college in uh, 2010, and I graduated college with a, a, a sports journalism degree, and I wanted to be a sports reporter originally. And, you know, when I went on interviews and went uh, to apply for jobs, you know, I was rejected out of college by... Uh, at least 10 news directors who looked at me and said, Kevin, you have a lot of passion and a lot of energy and enthusiasm for our business, but because of your disability, you know, we view you as a liability and no one will hire me. So what I did my out of college because I love journalism so much was that I uh, volunteered for four years as a volunteer sports reporter and a general assignment reporter for four years and I did that Michael for four years without a paycheck and uh, through that experience I got a chance to work with the uh, provincial government here in Canada uh, to help them uh, better see the, the need to hire people with disabil disabilities from a federal level and through that you know I got my first paying job as uh, an advocate for uh, uh, advocating for folks with uh, disabilities to get employment. So, tell me about how we can help people eliminate sort of their limiting beliefs and uh, and coming up and generating with excuses. Because because how can we eliminate excuses so that we can get to prosperity, my friend? What are your thoughts there? Um, I think it's the the same key the the same keys um you know that i've mentioned that really you you have to be clear on 
the the second pillar, which is your direction. Why do why do you want it? Why do you want to be there? What's what's the purpose behind it? You know, Kevin, when you shared your story just then, um, you know, like you knew what you wanted to do. You wanted to be the sports reporter. You had a direction. So, you know, you sort of got your mission. You've got a vision around what you want in the future, what that looks like. And then from there, you set goals and you were prepared to work at it. And you felt this internal drive to want to get there. I think what happens is that people, uh, and, and also you mentioned something about excuses before and, and removing them. I think what happens is that people are unclear of what they want. So they try something and it doesn't work and they go, well, it, that can't be the path. So I'll try something else. And then they try something else, which is completely different. And then they go, that's not the path. And then they, they keep changing what they want to do. They never start putting runs on the board. Whereas obstacles are just part of the journey. You know, I know where I want to be. Like, you know, I've got in my, in my mind, I've got a global coaching business where you know, I'm, I'm helping tens of thousands of people coach. Well, I guess I've already done that, but you know, tens of thousands of people who we're coaching and educating every year. And I've got teams of coaches that are going out there and helping people through our methodologies. And, and so when I think about that, there are obstacles every day. There's having a business. There is always financial challenges through growth. I speak to people on the phone every day who want to grow a business and they say, oh, I would love to do something, but I just don't have the money. That's a barrier and obstacle that's put in front of them to see if they actually want it enough. And if they don't overcome that first obstacle, they're not going to overcome the second and the third and the fourth. And financial problems are just part of business growth. So, you know, whether you want to build a hundred thousand dollar a year business, a million dollar a year business, a ten million or a hundred million dollar business, there is always cash flow problems on that journey. The numbers just get bigger. So if you can't overcome that hurdle at a small level, you can't get it at a big level. And I think people try to avoid the barrier and the obstacle by thinking that it's not supposed to be there and then trying something different because they think that there's going to be a path without those obstacles. By the sounds of things for you, you know, you did an amazing job by having a focus, by having the vision and and that helps to overcome those excuses. I'm sure there are plenty of times that you questioned yourself and went, is this really worth it? Is this, you know, is there a, is there an easier path? I, I mean, I'm not sure I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, but you know, that's for you, you found ways of overcoming those obstacles and making what you want work. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Michael, I want to talk to you about, uh, you know, societal pressures, because I know you help p people eliminate stress and burnout and everything in between, my friends. And, and, uh, when we look at the society that we live in today and the pressure that people are under, what do you think it's going to take to change the societal conversation about uh, stress and burnout in particular? Yeah. I think a lot of that comes through something called implanted values, which Sigmund Freud, the famous psychiatrist, psychoanalyst, spoke about. And what he said was that when we have these implanted values, it creates all this brain noise inside of our own head because we're trying to please others. We we try to live up to other people's expectations. We think that our value comes from appeasing others. And so it makes our brain really scattered with a lot of noise. If you know why you're doing what you do, now there are certain tools, like I have certain tools that can help with balancing out your brain more without with getting rid of that brain noise, not through meditation and a lot of the old techniques that are out there. Um, but using some of the latest science, sciences and some of the, the latest tools which I've developed and, and some other people have developed, by, by removing that implanted value, you normally just have focus on what you want to do. Now, there'll be a lot of noise outside of you, but it's always going to be there. Um, and you're always going to have people pulling you in different directions because they have different values. So when you're doing your thing, other people look at that and say, but that's not my thing. You should change. But that's because they don't even understand themselves, but they think if they can make you change, that it's going to make your life better because it makes their life better. But that's not true. The real truth is, is that we need to be clear on who we are so that we can do what we love. And the societal pressure is always going to be there. I'm one person in a world of 8 billion people who all have different value systems, different belief systems, different upbringings, you know, different religions, different ideologies. So when I go out to the world, people say, I, I get it every day. You shouldn't do that. You should do this. 
you know, they'll say to me, well, you should have kids. You're getting older. And I go, well, I don't want kids yet. And and they're like, yeah, but what, what if what if you do and, and you can't have them? And I'm like, well, that's not, fear's not a reason to do something. Yeah, but you should you should have gone to university. And I go, well, I didn't want to go to university because of these reasons. Yeah, but so everyone in society tries to pull you into their way of living and into their lane because they perceive that that's what makes their life better. But that won't make your life better. So I think you just have to do what you need to do. And part of the game of life that builds your own self-confidence and self-belief is that when the first person tries to pull you out of your lane of life into their lane in life, if you can stay in your lane, you just show that you are strong enough to handle that. But then what will happen is as you become more popular, as you achieve more, as you're in front of more people, there's going to be two people trying to pull you into their lane. Then there's going to be four. Then there's going to be six. Then there's going to be 10. Then there's going to be 20 and, and so on. Over time, the more popular you become, the more people try to pull you into their lane. And there's all these people pulling you in different directions. But if you just stay in your lane, it shows you your strength that you currently have because you can push against all of that challenge and you still stay on your path. And so I think it's just part of a test. Yeah, absolutely. And Michael, as you mentioned uh, before, a uh, part of what you love to do is work at, work with uh, business leaders to help them develop sort of an inclusive and diverse culture, my friend. So what do you think uh, can come from adopting a diverse and inclusive culture when it comes the business success. What are your thoughts there, my friend? That's a great question. I think that conversation has been happening for a couple of years here in Australia. Um, and I think that sometimes people think inclusivity is changing standards to make people feel included. But I don't think that that's a smart thing, especially in business. What I think is that if you understand that everyone brings a gift and you can see the gift that they're bringing, you don't have to change. The business shouldn't be less than by having people who are different, whether it's different cultures, different religions, different ideologies, different belief systems. It should add value to the company and the organization because you've got a different perspective. You've got different views. You've got different talents. And so... I think that in Australia, and, and I know America is a bit like this, uh, you mentioned you were from Canada, is that correct? I'm from Canada, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's the same over there where, you know, a lot of businesses are going, well, you know, we need to hire X amount of females in this male-dominated industry in order, to, in order to be inclusive. I don't think that that's a benefit. I don't think it's beneficial hiring people on color or race or religion or anything. What I think is it's important to remove all of that stuff and not see people through even that lens. I think it's important to see people through the lens of their own greatness. And then it doesn't matter whether they're males, females, race, religion. You know, I don't like using the word disability because I've, I've met plenty of people who are fully able mentally and physically who I would say are more disabled than, um, you know, some people that I've met who have you know, physical limitations or even some form of mental limitations. Um, so I, I guess it really comes back down to viewing people through the lens of what is their greatness? What value do they add? What value can they bring to this culture? How can we become better as an organization, as a company, by having a difference of opinion, a difference of view, by having different people look in on the company and give their give their feedback. I I I think that sometimes that that line can get skewed just by color or gender or race, which is it's always been part of the problem, right? Like, I think excluding women from certain roles is just as stupid as including them just because they're women. I think that that's that doesn't benefit anybody. It should just be remove gender completely and just go. What can this person bring and see them as an individual? And and I think the same thing through race and religion and and all that. So I don't I don't know if that's a good answer to the question, but that's just what I believe and and what I've seen really works well. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'm going to combine this uh, on my next question because they're interrelated. So, Michael, I'm curious to ask you about 
breaking down stigmas in life that we uh, uh, tend to have. And also, my friend, I'm also curious to ask you about the power of self-reflection and whether you're a big believer in self-reflection as well. What are your thoughts there? I think there's two questions there. I've got to be careful not to cross over the answers. Um, so the first one was around, uh, was it breaking down stigma? Stigma and mental health. Yeah, the progress yeah. that we've made. Yeah. Um, look, I think the stigma, especially around mental health, is exacerbated by a few different reasons. I think the fact that people talk about the stigma of mental health actually makes it stigmatizing. So I don't tend to talk about that there is any stigma with mental health. It's just, I, I believe that we all have problems. We all have challenges. We all have things that we need to improve upon. There is no real good or bad things. There is because sometimes bad things that happen to us can actually lead us to good situations or good things. Mm -hmm. Sometimes good things lead us to bad situations and bad things. So, you know, over a lifetime, I'm not sure whether we know whether things are good or bad in the moment. It's just, you know, in hindsight, we can look back and see. What I what I think is that there shouldn't even be really a conversation around the stigmatizing stuff. It should just be, right, if you're not getting what you want out of life, then there has to be some challenges that are going on, either through your actions, your emotions, or your thoughts. If we can change your thoughts, we can change your emotions. If we can change emotions, we can change your actions. Now, actions normally reinforce our thinking, so it creates this feedback loop. So why don't we just all focus on growth, right? Growth should be the conversation. How do we grow? How do we better ourselves? How can we be the best that we can be in life? Then I think it removes that um, that conversation. Um, yeah. Does that answer that question? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the second question that you had was, um, could you just, could I get you to repeat it, Kevin? Yeah, I was just curious to ask you about the power of self-reflection and whether you believed in self-reflection or not. I think self-reflection and future reflection is so beneficial. I think at the end of every day, there should be, there should be, or, or there needs to be two things that happen if you want to live a great life. The first thing is you reflect upon your day and see the things that you did well and also the things that you can improve upon. That way, the reflection creates the awareness. Without awareness, we can't change. So we have to become aware. By taking time every day, I normally prefer at nighttime, where you can sit back and reflect upon your day, whether it's through a journal or whether it's just through lying in bed and thinking about it, you're becoming more aware of the, the amazing stuff that you already have in life. I believe that and the great philosophers have said this as well, whatever you give out is whatever you get back. So if you're grateful for your day and you can see the things that you've done well and your improvements and the people who are helping you and the inspiring conversations, you're probably going to get more of that in life. Now, I don't know the quantum physics or the physics or the, 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 you know, the, the science behind that. I think there are lots of different theories, but that's more philosophy. Um. The other thing is that we want to start we want to start thinking about our future and then where we need to get to so we can start to acknowledge that there is some area of growth there that we need to grow into and that's going to be an important phase as well. I was just listening to a podcast episode only uh, a week ago and it was about a guy talking about Jeff Bezos. And what he said is that Jeff Bezos, one of the richest people on the planet, wakes up every day and he spends the first hour thinking and and doing creative stuff that gets his mind into this future state where he can start to think about his future and his goals and his ambitions and his dreams. I think that having those times and not just being busy for the sake of being busy is so essential to live a great life. Yeah, absolutely. And Michael, I've got two questions left. And I, and I wanted, wanted to start by asking you about the idea of enjoying the journey of life and really making sure that you make contributions that are meaningful to you. So why do you think it's important for people to enjoy the journey that we call life, my friend? Well, depends on your belief system, but 
it, whatever the belief structure is about life, whether you believe in Mother Nature, God, the universe, or many gods, it, I, I think that there is either whether we believe that we're just here for this life and then it's all over and done with, or whether we believe that you know there is a heaven or or something else that happens after death. Either way, we're here in this form for this life. And one day, it's not going to be there anymore. And so I believe that it is important to make sure that every day we're stacking the growth of or, or stacking the enjoyment or the benefits of life. Now, I don't believe that life has to be enjoyable by having fun. I think that life has to be enjoyable where you can sit back and go, wow, this week was extremely challenging. But you know what? We solved the problem. We got over it. And, and what a great week. Versus looking back at the week and going, wow, that was so stressful. You know, I hope that next week's not like that. Life is so tough. It's just the conversation that we have in our own mind about the, the journey of life that I think makes it worthwhile. And so from what I've seen, I've, I've, I mean, I've worked with tens of thousands of people. Some people have great lives, yet they hate their life. And, and some people wish that they were dead. And then I've met other people who have the most horrific lives that you can possibly imagine. And to them, their life is like the most amazing story and journey that's ever happened because of all the challenges and the adversities. And so I think it really depends on our own perception that we keep reinforcing day by day, moment by moment. Um, something that I learned a little while ago um, through something that I was watching was somebody said that every time something negative happens, just say good. And that was a game changer for me. You know, my staff come to me and they go, oh, this happened. And, and it's, you know, they're all stressed out. And I go, good, now we can fix it. And they're like, oh, and you watch the stress just relieve from themselves because it's good, right? If we fix a problem, then we're progressing, we're moving forward. And, and I think that it's just a state of mind that really perceives whether life is fulfilling, unfulfilling, worthwhile, not worthwhile, good, bad, positive, negative. I think that it's just important to keep reinforcing how great life is. Like I, I think that it's, Kevin, I think that it's mind-blowing that when, when I have a look at the complexities of a single human life, it is mind-blowing. When you study a little bit of biology, a little bit of physics, a little bit of chemistry, you go, it is literally impossible for human life to exist. It is, it is impossible. Yet we're here. So it, it's just, to me, that is so mind-blowing. And then I, I do something great, which is every now and again, I walk outside and I look up at the sky and I just see this darkness with all of these little lights everywhere, you know, the stars. And you look up and you just go, wow, that, that in itself is just mind-blowing that there could be this thing that's so big and vast that we don't even know what it really is and, and how to understand it and how big it is and where it goes. There's all these different theories, but we don't really know. To me, I look at that and I go, wow, how can life not be phenomenal and not be amazing? Yeah, you know, life to me is an opportunity opportunity to make a difference each and every, every day. So I agree with you there, Michael. And my final question for you this morning has to do with your own personal and professional legacy, my friend, and how you want that to be defined. Um, it's another great question. I could, again, I could do the, I could have an answer for this for the next hour, but look, I don't really worry too much about my legacy. I think I used to, but your legacy is something that happens after you die. And when I'm not here, I, I'm not responsible for that. I can't, I, I don't, what people think of me is what they think of me. All I can do is the best with the resources that I have. Sometimes I make good decisions. Sometimes I make bad decisions, but you know, like if, if I could make people think a certain way about me and about my life, um, which I, I can't, um, but what I what I would say is like I the purpose of my life is to help people perform better in life and business. And I really value the idea of living a life that's purposeful and meaningful to each and every person. You know, part of my story was when I was around 19 to 20, my best friend's three-year-old niece was killed in a car accident. And, you know, watching a little coffin going into the ground and realizing that life can just be taken away just like that. 
really made me understand the importance of actually enjoying life in a way where I feel fulfilled. And, and if I can help other people find that fulfillment in their own life as well, I think that that's, that I've lived a purposeful life. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, Michael, tell me if people want to get connected with you, my friend, what's the best and most effective way they can do that? Yeah, if they go to uh, Michael Mojo, which is M-I-C-H-A-E-L, Mojo, M-O-J-O, dot com. Uh, my website's there. You can check out, you know, what I do, how I do things, programs that I have, you know, that we've got stuff from online where we have people from all around the world. Um, we run live events, seminars. Uh, I've got a podcast called The Underestimated Entrepreneur. Um, or they can reach out to me on any of my social media as well if they just type in uh, Michael Mojo on any of the social media platforms, it'll probably pop up um, with my page. Um, so yeah, follow along, check out what I do. If anyone's got any questions, they can reach out. Uh, Instagram's normally the best place to get me. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, yeah, you'll find me if you want to find me. I guess you can go to Google as well and type in my name and it will come up. Absolutely. Well, my friend, I have to tell you that we had a, a extended and lengthy conversation about a lot of interesting and important topics my friend i want to thank you for your work in personal development because you've really uh, moved the needle of progress forward in so many ways my friend you should be uh, uh commended for the work that you've done and uh continue to do and i'm glad that you uh, carved out some time to chat with me about how you're advancing the world forward my friend so i want to tell you to Keep up the good work and keep inspiring people to reach for their own definition of greatness, my friend. And I want to thank you for engaging in conversation with me. It's most appreciated. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me as well. And thank you for sharing your story as well. It's um, I love hearing stories like like yours as well. And, um, you know, thank you sir, for doing what you do as well and inspiring the world and, and staying driven to stay on your purpose. It's uh, really inspiring.